Uh, my name is Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here at Conduit. Uh, Pastor Corey and his family uh, this morning are away in Baltimore visiting his brother and his mom and his dad. And so we're praying for them as they travel back tomorrow. Uh, we're, we're trucking along uh, uh, in our series on every man, or that's called Every Man, Woman, and Child. And it's a uh, it's a series on the vision of Conduit over the next seven years. Vision, I guess you could call it Vision 2025, or a vision that we hope to execute and would culminate in seven years, or in 2025. And if you haven't, uh, if you haven't yet gotten an opportunity to look at one of uh, these kind of information, like these, one of these, I guess you'd call it a brochure, make sure you grab one in the back afterwards. It's on that bookshelf under the TV back there. Um, and it completely details and outlines every aspect of Vision 2025. And so for the last couple of weeks, uh, uh, Pastor Corey has been talking about our, our main mission statement, which is to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, and to serve like Jesus. You know, three things that we always, as conduits, want, want to be a part of our, like our, our individual discipleship, but also our our corporate or culture here as a church, as a body, as, as people who are, who are moving out on mission. We want to we wanna live our individual, our corporate, our family lives. We want to live like Jesus. We want to we wanna be like Jesus. We want to love like Jesus. We want to love others like Jesus loved others. We want to serve like Jesus, sacrificially, out of ourselves, Letting, letting the Holy Spirit fill our cup so that it overflows and we can pour it out onto others. We wanna, that, that's what we want to be about. And so um, that's what the, the mission is about. And uh, last week, Pastor Corey spoke on living like Jesus. And so today we're going to move on to loving like Jesus. Now, this can be, um, I'll say, this can be a, when I set out in preparing for this message, you know, we always do, of course, a lot of prayer, a lot of reading. You know, Lord, what would you have me say about what it means to love like Jesus? And, um, you know, there, <laughs> there could not be, at least in my mind, a, a, more broad, a more broad topic than what it means to love like Jesus, right? Because that's, that's what we really define God by. Right? That's the, the main, one of the main like, um, characteristics of God. In fact, 1 John 4, 8 says that God doesn't just love people, right? that he is love. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. It's, a, it's who he is. Right? And so encapsulating what it means to love like Jesus seems kind of trite to try and do that in 40 minutes or so, but... We're going to give it our best shot. And I, I think what's important, for us to, um, what's important for us to start out on, it's kind of a um, like ground floor, foundational level about what it means to love like Jesus, is that we, we have to love like the Jesus that we find in Scripture and not the Jesus of our sentiments. We, 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 have to, we have to love like the Jesus that we find here. Not the Jesus that we have kind of maybe 
um, sentimentalized in our mind, right? The, the sto storybook Jesus. Um, nice story Jesus. Because Jesus did things, he said things, and he acted in such a way that really um, would have got him classified as pretty unloving today. You know, he said some things that you would really probably consider rude. Uh, he called religious leaders um, sons of hell. You know, he, he accused them of, of, of tying big, like, like tying big millstones around people's necks and throwing them into the ocean. He called them a, a brood of vipers. He walked around, and, and his, his main classification for uh, religious people of the day was to call them hypocrites. So, like, so, so we, we have to really kind of, we, we have to be honest with ourselves about what it means to love like Jesus. Because loving like the Jesus of Scripture is not like loving the Jesus of 2019, because often they're, they're portrayed in very different ways. We believe one of our core values here is that the Bible is the boss, right? It is the ultimate authority for our faith in life. It has everything that we need for life and godliness and holiness, both on a spiritual level and in all practicality, right? And so if we're going to take ourselves seriously as men and women who want to live like Jesus and love like Jesus and serve like Jesus, then our authority for how to do that must come from his word. Okay. So, if we are going to love like Jesus, um, loving, loving like Jesus starts out by knowing why Jesus was the way that he was. Right? Why, why was Jesus the way that he was? Why did, why did Jesus live and love and serve the way that he did. Right? Jesus was not, um, we often have this, well, I don't want to say we often do, but um, understand that Jesus did not live and love and serve autonomously. Meaning he wasn't just on his own agenda, on his own schedule, doing his own thing whenever he wanted to, like kind of wistfully marching around the Holy Land, right? Jesus was actually, he had a, he had a job. He had a, he had a mission. And it, it was not something that was set by him, right? Uh, in John chapter 4, we have one example here. In John chapter 4, verse 34, where Jesus tells us exactly why he does the things that he does. So why does Jesus live and love like he does? And he says, my food, Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 34, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. There are other instances within scripture, especially the gospel of John, where we see almost identical things that Jesus says, um, similar to the effect that, hey, look, I'm not here doing just what I want to do. I am here doing the work that my father has sent me to do. 
Meaning there's, there's, a, there's, a bigger, there's a bigger thing going on here than just the individual connections that I have with people or the things that I'm teaching or the miracles that are being performed. Like, I'm here on a mission from the Father. I'm here to, to do things the way that, the, that God the Father wants them done. And so it, it wasn't as if Jesus was just doing his own thing all on his own, but that he was folding in, right? He was folding in the entire plan of God. Right? The, the entire plan of, of the, the creator. We, 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 we um, sang about the, the creator of the universe, the maker of of all things this morning right the creator and sustainer of all that there is all that there was all that there ever will be and jesus was here on the scene right living and loving and serving so as to exemplify and reflect and incarnate the ultimate will and plan of his father in heaven and so when we, when we look at the things that Jesus did, when we, when, we see the, when we hear the things that Jesus said, when we, when we understand the way that Jesus served, we have to understand that like, like there is, that it, it's pure in the sense of its like eternal and cosmic plan, if you would. Like it is the, it is the fulfillment of all that God wants for you and all that God wants for me what we see Jesus doing okay so when we begin when we begin to um, when we begin to consider what it means to love like Jesus I want you to remember right that that Jesus um, was encompassing the character the heart and the nature of God the Father himself in everything that he did, okay? That's going to become clear in a minute why that's so important. Um, I want to talk about two practical things, two really like just, like these are the, this is what it means, I think, to love like Jesus in, its, in the most practical terms maybe, that, that you and I, that's appropriate for you and I this morning, okay? Uh, and certainly this is not comprehensive, but um, two things that I think we can immediately put our feet down on. Loving like Jesus means that I willingly forego sitting in a seat of judgment and condemnation over others sin okay. say it one more time loving like jesus means to forego the place of judgment and condemnation over others sin now i've said it before um and i'll say it again like there is uh, a common phrase among christianity that makes me just like want to bite my tongue off and choke on it right and that is love the sinner hate the sin right we say that all the time well we just we love the sinner but we we hate the sin 
And really what that ends up meaning is, like, you, you usually just don't like the person, right, and what they, don't, what they do. Like, we, we concentrate very, we, concentrate, we, we focus in on what they're doing, who they are. We, oh, we can, we can love the sinner, but we can hate the sin. That's, that's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense, all right? Um, no, nowhere within Scripture are we, do, we, do we see, like, this, this exhortation or this admonition for the followers of Jesus Christ to um, love sinners but hate their sin. Now, what we see all over Scripture is that Jesus consistently proclaiming that we should love others and that we should hate our own sin. That if we're going to hate sin, we should be hating our, our own sin. The darkness, the darkness of our own heart. That, that we, got, we, got a, we got enough sin to hate in our own lives that we don't need to waste time and spiritual energy hating it in others' lives. Like, right? Like, let's focus on me here. Right? So, to love like Jesus means that we forego the place of of. Of, of judgment and condemnation over another person's sin. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up to John chapter 8 this morning. John chapter 8, verse 1. We'll read 1 through 11 here. That Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, we are commanded to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I, not coincidentally, but, you know, I, you know when you're like, in life or just in life in life in general like you have these big spiritual questions things you like you know like huge things that there's no real answer to and you like i so jesus and i have a running conversation where he's keeping a notebook of all of the like questions that i would like answers to when i get to heaven and because i don't want to forget them right so i'm asking jesus to keep notes and, and one of the questions I'm asking him is, Jesus, what did you write on the ground that day? What did you write in the dirt that day? Because as Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger, and when, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let them be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. I don't know, maybe he was just listing all of their sins. I, I don't know. At this, those who heard began to go one at a time, the older ones first, 
until Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is an incredible passage, okay? Just an incredible, incredible passage. Um, for a lot of reasons, some of which I think we're, we'll get to uh, this morning, but I think we have to first say this out it. Um, you know, some, some have accused this passage of, um, of saying that, that, that Jesus was a... Um, that, that Jesus was, was weak on sin here. He was weak on this woman. I mean, obviously adultery is wrong, right? Obviously uh, adultery is not something that God desires for our lives, wants for our lives. So, so and, and Jesus, Jesus refused to condemn her here. He, he really was downplaying sin. He says, go, you know, I'm, I don't condemn you. Listen, this... This passage shows that Jesus had neither, he, he neither diminished sin, he told the woman, I'm not going to condemn you, go and leave your life of sin, leave it, walk away from it, like go, go in a different direction, don't, don't do that anymore, right? But neither was it a preoccupation with sin where jesus focused where jesus focused solely in on that jesus replaces the focus here not from necessarily from the woman's sin but from the act of condemnation like how the sin was viewed in the eyes of others because if you notice in the passage here right if you notice in the passage that, that the religious leaders, they, it says that they brought the woman in, in verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. That, that it, wasn't just, it wasn't just about dealing with the, the, the act of adultery or the... the the offense of adultery, the, the way in which they brought her forward in front of everyone was a, was a deliberate effort to, to pronounce shame. Not just being guilty of doing something, but we want you to feel shameful. You need to know the weight and the depth of how horrible what uh, horrible this thing is that you have done and you'll notice that jesus just stood silently refusing to pronounce shame refusing to jump on the pile right refusing to refusing to to escalate the situation the emotional situation in this woman's life they tried to maximize 
the shame that this woman felt by flaunting and magnifying her sin in front of others as if somehow that would make it okay or make it make themselves feel better or that it's something that they like that they were that they were rightly um, representing the heart of God by making this woman feel horrible for the thing that she had done and Jesus notice here that Jesus refused to join in on that that there was a refusal that there was a, fu- a refusal um, to magnify her shame and there was a active effort to end the this shameful situation Jesus says neither do I commend or condemn you who condemns you now who is here con- to condemn you no one she said then neither do I condemn you Jesus answered now to condemn it means to to declare reprehensible or wrong to declare evil after weighing the evidence and without any reservation without reservation in verse 11 we see here um, we've read it already that Jesus did not Jesus refused to condemn her for her sin but neither did he condone her sin and that's a tough like that's a tough balance for us because we don't we don't always really know the difference right it's it's hard for us how do we not condone but refuse to condemn because we we feel like well without if i don't if i don't openly condemn what this person is doing that 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 automatically means that i'm supporting what they're doing like we make we make that jump like really super quick like and and those two those two things are extremes on opposite sides of a very long spectrum right see what i find in myself um what, what, what I find is that there is, uh, did you know that there is a big difference between um, sinless Jesus and sinful Cameron? Like, in the way that we, in the way that Jesus saw the world, in the way that Cameron sees the world, or the way that Jesus sees people, in the way that Cameron sees people. And I'm c- consistently, right, asking the Lord to make me more and more like Jesus, right? Give me the Give me, a, give me the heart of Jesus. Help me to see things like Jesus saw things. Help me to love people like Jesus loved people. Help me to serve people uh, like Jesus served people. And, 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 and I believe, like, you know, in eternity I will be made perfectly like Jesus, right? Because the scripture tells me that will be so. Um, but there's a big difference. And what I find in my own heart is that um, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly rationalizing my condemnation of other people because jesus said go and sin no more right so so since jesus said it then it then it must be okay for for everyone to say it it couldn't have anything to do right 
couldn't have anything to do with the fact that, that Jesus was the sinless son of God, right? And that when he says, go and sin no more, that he's, he's sitting in a place of, of like unbiased perfection in the calling of someone to holiness. So, so saying that, well, when, 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 I, when, I, when I condemn someone's sinfulness, I do that because Jesus doesn't want us to sin. And he told people all the time to go and sin no more. And, and he pointed out people's sin all the time. He pointed out the sin of the Pharisees. He pointed out the sin of the, of the Sadducees. He pointed out people's sin all the time. So since Jesus pointed out sin, I can point out sin too. You're crazy. Because every time in Scripture that, that a human being magnified someone else's sin, Jesus shut it down. Jesus told them to, to knock it off. You got no place. You got no, you got no business. You're, 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 you're not even playing the right game, right? Hate your own sin. Hate your own sin. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one's here. I'm not going to condemn you either. See, the funny thing is, is that Jesus could have condemned. Jesus could have condemned the woman but he didn't. Jesus is the only person that could have condemned that woman. And he verbally and actively stepped, stepped away from that. I'm not going to condemn you. He could have, and he didn't. Why is it that we who shouldn't condemn always do? What, 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 is it about, what, what is it about our hearts that, that feels as though we have the right to sit in the seat of condemnation and judgment over another person's sin? If you look at... Uh, two passages of scripture will we'll see that um, that not only does Jesus refuse to condemn the woman in John chapter 8 but that it was a it was it was pretty much the name of the game by which Jesus like his it was the job that God gave him was to not stand in the seat of condemnation you look at, um, you know, probably, I mean, arguably the most famous Bible verse in all of the Bible verses. You don't even have to, you don't even have to own a Bible. All you have to do is watch TV on a Sunday and someone in the end zone will be holding up a sign that says John 3.16 when they're kicking field goals for the football game, right? So if you go to John 3.16, you'll, we'll, we'll read, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever 
believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Great verse. Yeah, my verse. You know. But then like we like hard stop, verse 16, period. Like there's more to the story, right? What is the, the mission of God that Jesus says, like, remember, Jesus is not coming just doing his own thing, right? The Father has sent him to do his work. And Jesus is doing everything that the Father tells him to do and listening to the voice of the Father and only doing what he hears the Father telling him to do. So verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, listen, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Listen, if Jesus didn't get to condemn people, you don't get to condemn people. You don't. If Jesus didn't get to do it, you don't get to do it. If it wasn't Jesus' job, it's certainly not your job. It's not the only other place. Uh, James chapter 2. We see, uh, so maybe we've established, right? we've set a little bit of foundation here that, that condemnation, right, is, um, to put it lightly, something to be avoided. Jesus wasn't gonna, going to condemn, neither are we to condemn. Uh, in the book of James, James, the brother of Jesus, speaks about the alternative to condemnation and judgment. The alternative to condemnation and judgment is a thing called mercy and grace. All right, so we're in James 2, verses 12 through 13, where James um, encourages his readers, us, you and I, those who are hearing, he says, listen, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Listen, if you, if you remember anything about this morning, remember this. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy Mercy triumphs over judgment. So the first thing to living or to loving like Jesus is to forego the seat of judgment and condemnation of others' sin. The second thing to loving like Jesus we're going to talk about this morning is this. Loving like Jesus means embracing those that the world casts to the side. Loving like Jesus means we embrace those the world casts off. Those whose lifestyle is different than our own. Those whose language is different, both in the color of their language, right? and in the actual language that they speak, right? 
somehow we've gotten into this like really deplorable, disgusting habit to think in America that if someone doesn't speak English, they're somehow less human. That we have, we have permission to treat them than, than something less than um, the, the, you know, a child of God. To love like Jesus means that we embrace those the world casts off, those who maybe um, live a completely different lifestyle, speak a different language, have different, a different set of beliefs about anything, really, um, are in a completely different economic strata than you and I, whether that means way up here or way down there or wherever in the spectrum they find themselves or maybe or maybe it's where they live right well they live uh they live over on that side of the city and um that's a bad neighborhood so i'm just gonna have them come over here to this side of the city because this is where our church is and this is kind of a better place to be than over there something like are you kidding me like it just To love like Jesus means to embrace those that the world casts to the side, casts off. The people that we build walls around our lives to to keep us safe from. It's not a political statement, okay? It's just like, be it a metaphorical wall or an actual physical wall, right? When when, when, When we separate Right? When we separate people into the, um, um, the haves and the have-nots and I'm safe around them and I'm not safe around them or they are, uh, they are, they are dirty or they are poor or they don't speak our language or, um, or w- whatever the case may be, we, we, don't, we don't incarnate the heart of God. We don't. Because the, the consistent ethic of Jesus The consistent pattern of Jesus was to take the people that the world around him was pushing to the margins and bring them to the center. And and if Jesus couldn't get them to the center because of the opposition that that he faced, then he would just go and spend all of his time with them. He's like, that's fine. I'll, I'll 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 make my home with them. We see this in like, all kinds of different situations in scripture. I don't, I don't even really think I have to like show you this or define this for you, but like we will for, you know, for posterity's sake. All right. Uh, let's look at Mark chapter one, the gospel of Mark chapter one. Verse 40, a man, a man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean, right? Isn't it, isn't it interesting that the man didn't say, if you are willing, you can heal me from leprosy? You know, because his major concern was not the fact that he had some unknown skin condition that was apparently contagious, but it's that the world around him considered him to be unclean and so they pushed him to the outer rim of 
society. And he had no one, right? No one that would speak to him. No one that would touch him. No one that would eat a meal with him. No one that would interact with him. Because if they did, then they would be unclean too. And so the guy's number one request of Jesus was not to heal his skin condition, but was to, Lord, Jesus, please make me clean. I, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm dying for fellowship. I'm dying for community. I'm dying for someone to just sit down and eat a meal with me. Make me clean, Lord. Filled with compassion. Verse 41, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. He touched him. Who knows how long it had been since the man had been touched. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. Like, Jesus, it's interesting, right? Like, if I healed someone from leprosy, I'd be like, yo, heal them. <laughs> right? Because what would it what would it say? Like there's I mean like there's some kind of spiritual power like working through me and I touched the guy and leprosy went away and like, you know but for Jesus it wasn't about that right he had nothing to prove right like there's nothing to prove all he wanted the man to do was not to go around and tell everyone that Jesus healed him he wanted him to do what go and show yourself to the priest offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. As a testimony to them. So when a person was deemed unclean, right? And they were pushed to the margins of society. Specifically for a skin condition like leprosy or something like this. The way, the way in which they, they, the only way that they could re-enter communal life was to go and show themselves to the high priest. Say, look, I'm safe. I'm clean. Here's my, my sacrifice, my offering. Re-entering back into Jewish culture, Jewish practice, Jewish sacrifice, Jewish life. Back into community. Jesus says, look, don't, don't run around telling everyone. You don't got to tell everyone that I healed you. Just go and, like, go and enjoy a life of being now clean. That's what it takes, Right? Other instances, of course, of Jesus taking those that the world had cast off to the outside and bringing them, trying to bring them to the center. Um, we're in Mark chapter 1, but if you flip over just a few pages to, uh, to Mark chapter 5, he does the same thing um, with the demon-possessed man. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. They tried to chain this guy down. For he'd been chained hand and foot. He tore the chains apart, broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Think anyone was really eager to spend time with this dude? Man, he's really like, weird. like, I 
think he's, I think he's mentally ill. This probably doesn't mean really, he doesn't, doesn't understand, so it doesn't really matter if we spend time with him or love him or have mercy on him or talk to him because he's just crazy. Right? goes on to say that Jesus healed the man, of course, from the demon possession. Perhaps one of the uh, most famous passages of Jesus doing something where he embraced those the world cast out or embraced those that he shouldn't have had to embrace was in John chapter 4, where Jesus met the Samaritan woman, right? Or the the, um, the woman at the well, if you will. A woman who was living in different relationship, husband, you know, like number of different husbands, living with a man now that wasn't her husband. She was a Samaritan, and so she was a different belief than he was. And like, she was a woman, and he was a man, and like, you couldn't get more different than a Samaritan woman who was um, in a uh, non relationship and like i mean just just list them right just just list them like society like pushing her to the outskirts get away like she's different like unclean would it however you want what did jesus do like come here come here come here bring it bring it in bring it in bring it in we're okay oh oh they won't let you in oh okay i'll come over there i'll come over there all right listen consistent a consistent practice and ethic and attitude of Jesus was to embrace those that the world has cast off. If we are going, listen, conduits, listen to me. If we are going to love like Jesus, we we must spend so much time with the outcasts of society that religious people start to hate us. Because that's exactly what they did to Jesus. Like, they hated him. Hated him. And if we are going to love like him, then we must spend so much time with the type of people that Jesus spent time with that the world hates us too. Be really cautious. When the world loves you because of your faith in Jesus. Really cautious. Because Jesus said, the world hate will hate you. But don't worry, it hated me first. Be really cautious. Because you might not be following Jesus. If everyone loves your version of Christianity or Jesus following or discipleship, right? Because the world hated Jesus' version. Because he spent time with all of the people that the world just kind of wanted to forget about. We need to love like Jesus. First, it's to be like, listen, listen, I'm not condemning. I'm not going to condemn you. 
I'm not gonna, not gonna condemn what you've done. I'm not gonna condemn what you say. I'm not gonna condemn how you act. I'm not gonna condemn how you live, how you raise your kids, how you don't raise your kids. I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna condemn you, right? I'm not gonna condemn you. Also, far, far away from condemning you, I wanna embrace you. I want to bring you close. I want, I, want, I want you to know the heart and love of God. Now, I, I understand that it's easy, even in a, even in a situation like this, um, to where, where, where we could easily make practical like connection points between the outcasts and um what it means to not condemn people it could be easy to make practical application points in our current context here in the city of jamestown right or in our mission and vision as as conduits in the city of jamestown or in the county as a whole but but i I don't know about you but sometimes when like it gets a little too close to home I, I conveniently choose to not make the most practical of applications because I'm kind of not really excited about what that would mean for my life. Right? Like, what, what, what would it actually mean if I, if I made some pretty crystal clear connections and application points between what it means to embrace those that the world casts off and where I live in Jamestown, New York? Who's that going to put me around? How, how is that going to change the way that I think about my faith in Jesus? How is it going to change the reason that I come to church? Right? How is it going to change every time, um, every time I, I plunk my offering in that bucket back there? Because man, like, that says a lot about what you believe. A lot. Um, so, you know, this whole thing where, you know, the whole, the whole context of this thing is um, Vision 2025 in every man, woman, and child. And when we say every man, woman, and child, uh, we mean every. Every man, woman, and child. When we say to love like Jesus, we mean to love like Jesus. And not the Jesus of our sentiments, right? We, we, we don't just love good people, right? And, and good families, right? Oh, they're, they're, just a, they're just a good family. Oh, he's just a, just, a, just a good person. What does that even mean? Like, I'm not, like... I have a good family, and I am a good person, right? But there's nothing good in me. The only thing that's good in me is Jesus. That's it. The only good thing in me is Jesus. Well, we want to love. So when we when we get to this and we try to make like practical application points to the things that the or the places or the people that the world has our city um, 
cast to the outside, right? And we look at this like, so okay, as conduits, how are we going to love like Jesus? How are we going to do this? Are we actually going to like put boots to the ground to love people like Jesus? Or are we just going to sit in here and listen to people speak long-windedly, blowing hot air about loving like Jesus, all the while, like, not. Uh, and so that's really where a lot of this comes from, okay? Where over the next seven years, our desire is to um, push into the places that people have been pushed and to bring them back to the center. And if, and if like, we can't get them to the center, that's fine. We'll just stay out there with them. Right? But to, but to, but to, um, to express the love of Jesus, to incarnate the love of Jesus, to, like, press into their environments, right? Their places, those, their people, the love of Jesus. It might, it might look a little bit, um, it might look a little bit like we envision and believe that the gospel has the power to change the culture of mental illness and substance abuse addiction in Chautauqua County. The, the church is the unique bearer of the message of the gospel that in and through faith in Jesus Christ, everything is made whole and redeemed. As the rate of mental illness and addiction continues to climb, churches that fail to address the wholesale brokenness of people with these afflictions lose the authority of light that shines in the darkness. While we understand that these are not small or easy to solve problems, we are choosing to believe that God will reveal to us where we can become a part of the gospel solution for people with these issues. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, I was in prison and you did not come to visit me. These words from Jesus echo in the ears of the religious people who say that they love God, but never address the places and people who are devoid of all hope. Studies have shown that in Chautauqua County, the rate of criminal reoffense hovers around 75%. That means that three out of four criminals will reoffend at some point in their life. Why? We believe that when people are given a reason to hope, that they are given permission then to dream about what life could look for them as a whole and redeemed person. And so we envision the development of a Christ-centered post-release program geared towards no less than 100 previously incarcerated persons over the next seven years. So what if some of 
what if some of the practical applications that conduits made in loving like Jesus looked a lot like embracing those that have been pushed to the outskirts of Chautauqua County, of the city of Jamestown. What, what would happen? What, what if? You know, what, what if? And that, that means not just a, not just a, yeah, yeah, we should do that. We should do that. And what, sometimes, what you mean when you say, yeah, we should do that is, yeah, pastor, you should do that. You should do that. That would be a great idea for you to do. Right? Right. Come on. But, but what it doesn't mean is, yeah, you should do that. What it means is, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, I don't know the first thing about heroin addiction, but I'll learn. I'll love someone. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe the only thing that I can do is like support someone and like encourage someone who is helping. Like, good job, buddy. Or maybe, man, I don't know what to do about like a post-release program for people coming out of jail to help build hope into their lives and give them a future. But man, like I got some extra money. So I'm sure it's going to help. Loving like Jesus, foregoing a seat of condemnation, embracing those the world has cast to the outskirts. This is our vision. This is Conduit's vision for the next, uh, the next seven years. Okay? If you're not into it, it's probably, probably time to find another church because we're going to be like banging this gong for a long time, right? Seven years. All right. Um, Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer as the worship team comes back up. Father in heaven, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you. Um, man, sometimes, Lord, your word hurts. It brings life, Lord, um, but sometimes um, life comes out of extreme pain as every, <laughs> as every woman who has been in labor knows that, uh, Lord, pain can bring life. Uh, Lord, and, and sometimes your word brings a lot of pain into our lives because it points out, it points out my sin. It points out all of, the, um, all of the ways in which I have chosen to sit in condemnation over others. Meanwhile, having a pretty lazy attitude towards my own sin. Father, let us remember that mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord, give us a clear picture 
as uh, individuals, Father, as a church, as a gospel community, Lord, of who the city, the county, the world, us personally, has pushed to the outskirts of life. Lord, and may we embrace them loving like Jesus loved, Lord. Lord, may we look crazy in the eyes of religious people who talk about what it means to love, but who never reach out their hand. Let us be different, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.